my I'm attracted to strong personalities, so I, you know, assert your will. I'm ready. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, well, let's rock and roll then on that note. Welcome to, hey, Great Shot. This is an emergency day one recap edition of the Great Shot podcast. My name's Alex Gruskin. And joining me on today's podcast, he did such a good job lasting the full two hours in last night's preview pod, and he's the only guy I could convince to come on this podcast with me on such short notice. A man who matches my enthusiasm every time he's on this show. It's Cracked Rackets writer Matt Stokowiak. Matt, hey, great shot. What's going on, Gruskin? Back again, ready to roll. What a first day at Wimbledon. Let's break it down, man. Uh, I see you're trying to get me into the podcast quickly. You're trying to get in and out. No uh, no long housekeeping this time. Hey, look, I'm here for the long haul, all right? Whatever <laughs> you want to do, you want to go, uh, hey, we can do it. Let's go. All right, I well, got hours, man. I got hours. I love it. Rapid fire housekeeping. Check out CrackedRackets.com. All of our Wimbledon coverage on there. All of our writers doing a great job. You'll love the coverage. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of those places. Like this podcast. Subscribe to this podcast. Review, rate, five-star ratings only. Share it with your friends. But yes, it is time to talk about day one of Wimbledon. And the reason I wanted to do this recap pod so quickly after our preview is there are so many great matches in these early rounds. And when we delay, when we do that one, you know, reviewing of the first week podcast, it's hard to talk about all of the matches we want because, you know, like I mentioned before, Matt, you're such a willing guest. Let's break down some of these amazing day one results because, you know, whether it's seeing top seeds fall, whether it's seeing young players who may have a shot in it later on rise to the put in a good result today. Uh, you had all those results across the spectrum, and there's a lot of great tennis, um, a lot of matches to talk about, and, you know, a little sneak peek behind the scenes for you listeners, but we have our stats up of some of our favorite matches, and I've narrowed it down to four notable matches in this recap pod that we're going to be doing a deep dive on, as well as mentioning some of the other big day one results. But, uh, Matt, of those four matches, which one was the most compelling? Which one are we starting with? Uh, let's go. Let's go ahead and start with uh, Stan Wawrinka against Grigor. Oh, of course, the obvious pick. That was the real page turn. You know, if you're going to have a draw for day one, this was the match to do it. It was the prime time match. I believe it was played on Stadium Court, and you know, you have Stan Wawrinka. I believe made a semifinal here once, but other than that, hasn't really done well on grass. Obviously, right now, rebounding from injury. A guy who, in yesterday's podcast, I was quick to write off as not a threat in this event. Versus a guy in number six seed, Grigor Dimitrov, who has really struggled this year. You know, we haven't seen him have that big breakthrough result. After he won those World Tour finals, we thought, you know, maybe this is the year he goes for a big run in a Grand Slam. And, you know, that just has not been the case. You look at his record on the year coming into this match. He's 19-12, and 12, doesn't have any titles, uh, went 1-1 one one in Queens. Uh, so not didn't really have a lot of momentum and, you know, that, you know, set the stage for this match because neither of these guys is playing particularly well. And then we get out there and in that first set, Grigor goes up 5-0 in the blink of an eye and ends up winning that first set 6-1. And so for our listeners who didn't get a chance to see the match, Stan Wawrinka ends up taking out Dimitrov 1-6, 7-6, 7-6, 6-4. 
you know, I, if I keep introducing matches with that much backstory, we are going to get into the trouble with time, Matt. But I want to go to you now. Um, such a difference between Wawrinka's level in that first set and throughout the rest of the match. What did you see that allowed Wawrinka to come back to have that success and to take it to a guy in Dimitrov who, no, he's not playing well, but he's still a damn good player on tour, and it's hard to beat him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think the biggest difference, and, you know, with Grigor, this happens a lot, but I think mentally, um, these two guys, they're good friends. They play doubles together. They know each other real well. And I think really what allowed Stan to kind of force his way back in was just mentally, he knows that Grigor can kind of go away at times, even if he's got a big lead when the pressure's on, when it's closing time, Grigor struggles often. And it's tough to see because the guy's got all the talent in the world. He's such a good player, but, you know, mentally, it, he can struggle. So, so can, can I, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but can I make a quick counterpoint? Go for it, man. So in terms of something that may be suggestive of, you know, feeling pressure, to me at least, as a tennis player, was always my second serve points. And how was I doing on my second serve? Was I escaping with points? Was I hitting my spots and still being able to dictate? And you look at the statistics from this match, Dimitrov actually has the higher second serve win percentage, 49% to Wawrinka's 35. And when he was able to play aggressive and get Wawrinka stretched, you could tell Wawrinka still isn't moving as well as he used to. And he never really was particularly comfortable on grass. And so... I agree. So I disagree with you in some aspect, but then getting back to your point where I agree with you, there were times when Grigor just swung so tentatively. And it's not that he was attacking the wrong balls, but he was almost doubting himself. And it's it's just so surprising to see that one point that comes to mind in that third set tiebreaker, I think it was five all Dimitrov served. And he really had an easy mid-court forehand approach shot. And he just, he hit it just long. I mean, he overthought it. He held for just a little too long. He took one extra step. And in a, in a match like this, when the margins are so thin, that can be the difference. And I think that's what you saw. So I don't want to. So so yes and no. I thought Dimitrov. I you know I I just always hate saying oh he was nervous and that was the reason why because it wasn't just you know it's it's how those nerves manifest themselves. And for Dimitrov, it's that he just wasn't able to make enough approach shots to keep Stan on the defensive. Look, here, here's the thing. Uh, you know, after such a good first set, really, I mean, that was kind of a mulligan first set. I mean, it wasn't really how well Grigor was playing, but Stan kind of came out flat. But Grigor had chances to win that second set breaker to go up two sets to none, and he couldn't close it. He played, you know, not a great tiebreaker. So we go into the third, and then he's up 5-2 in the third set, looking for sure like he's going to take a two sets to one lead. And that's when Stan kind of started to make his charge. And this is what I'm talking about, you know, the pressure mounting. Grigor, you could just see him, you know, he, he's like, oh, man, this is happening again. And, and we see this with Grigor often, you know, in Grand Slams, wherever it may be, big matches. Stan has always been a very, very good big match player. You know, he's made three Grand Slam finals, and he's won all three of them. So in the big matches, Stan shows up. Being up 5-2 in the third for Grigor, I mean, you've got to close that set. And when Stan was able to come back, force another breaker, Grigor once again played a pretty poor tiebreaker in the third. And then from that point, I mean, once Stan went up, uh, you know, once Stan won that third set, I was like, oh, wow. I mean, Grigor, it was going to take, 
a Herculean effort for him to get back in that, and, you know, he wasn't able to do it. So definitely credit to Stan. I mean, that's the best I've seen him play in quite some time, especially on grass, because Stan is definitely not a grass sport player. But another first-round exit for Grigor, man. I mean, I hate to see it, but he's, uh, he's definitely struggling. So I do want to move on from this match because there was a lot of other good tennis, and you know, a lot of your analysis there, I agree with you. The match really did turn when Dimitrov wasn't able to to close out that third set. And then in the fourth, you know, you, he had his chances early in the fourth. And when he couldn't get that early break, he, you know, stopped getting into Walrinka's service games. Walrinka started making more first serves, hitting behind Dimitrov more often with that second ball. And when you're able to do that on grass, you can be successful. You know, but I, I've often been a Grigor Dimitrov defender, you know, partially because he's just so goddamn handsome, partially because I really did believe in his game and I thought he would have enough weapons combined with his fitness to make a run at an event like Wimbledon or the hardcourt slams. But you look at his last five slam, Grand Slam results, or now six, first round exit here, third round exit French Open, Australian Open quarterfinal, second round US Open, fourth round Wimbledon last year, third round French last year, He's really not breaking through as consistently as someone who's been ranked in the top eight as he has the past year and at the half. You know, really should be, and it is, you know, nerve-wracking it's to see. It's mental. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It comes back to your point of sometimes he struggles in these matches. The last thing I'll say about this match, you're right. Wabrinka did play significantly better than he has been. Serves 64% of his first serves in, wins 82% of those points, struggles on the second serve, but still you know, wins 55% of his net points. In the match, you look at total distance covered, a stat I have to throw in because whenever we have access to it, it's so cool. Um, Dimitrov only moves really less than 100 feet more than Wawrinka throughout the entire match. That's unacceptable for Grigor. He needs Wawrinka to be stretched more than he is. And, you know, it's a credit to Dimitrov that's that close. It means he was be playing aggressive a lot of the time. But still, you, you can't let Stan be that comfortable on his first serve. And in the end, that's why Stan was able to get it done. But all right, that's enough about the Stan Wawrinka match. I, 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 yeah, any last takes from you? You, you know, it, good match. It'll be interesting to see Stan moving forward. Not so shocked. I'm Actually, the last thing I'll say, and then I swear we'll move on. If I'm Wawrinka and I'm going into that press conference, the answer I'm going to ask, well, you know, what allowed you to win is I'd be like, look, I'm playing Federer. I grew up with Federer. Like, I'm going to crush the version of him. I know how to play him so well. And so that would have been my funny answer. But maybe I'm the only one who would have laughed at that joke because it sounds like you're not now. So, Westoff, put in some laughter. Make me feel good. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I've gone crazy with power. But all right, let's move on. I want to save the Medvedev-Chorich match because you're going to really get into me, so let's save that one for the end and let's do the other two first. Yeah, because I deserve the heat I'm going to take, but I want to put that off as long as possible. So let's do... All right, this match hurt me more, so we're going to do this. Let's do Ruben Bemelmans taking out Steve Johnson, 7-5-6-3-4-6-6-7-8-6. This is a match that Johnson fought off two match points in the fourth set, was in every Bemelman service game in that fifth set, had so many chances, and in my opinion, uh, saw the game plan and just, you know, he had so, so many chances and he just couldn't come. In the end, Bemelman's the lefty on the grass, you know, was too comfortable attacking Johnson's slice and just had too much in the end. What'd you see, Matt? Yeah, this, for me, I was really, really disappointed and steep with this one. Um, when I saw the draw, I mean, Bemelman's is a guy that, 
you know, if you're drawing him in the first round of any Grand Slam, I mean, he should be pretty happy. I think that's, you know, no disrespect to Bemelman. He's a very good player, but at the same time, you know, that's a pretty favorable draw, especially for Steve Johnson. So he got off to a slow start. I mean, you know, to get behind two sets to none, you know, at any three out of five set match in a slam, it's, it's going to be tough to come back. And he nearly pulled it off. I mean, I, I was impressed with the way that Steve, you know, fought back. You know, you mentioned that he did fight off those match points, and he was really battling, but, you know, ultimately he came up a little short in the fifth when I thought he was going to, you know, get over that hump. But uh, credit to Bemelman, de definitely disappointing for Steve, though. The big thing to me when I'm looking at this match, you look at the net point attempts. Steve Johnson does really well in this match. He goes 25 of 39, converts 64% of those chances, did a really good job of when he got Bemelman stretched on the backhand, snapping off forehands inside in. You know, if Bemelman's cheated over, he would go inside out, was always comfortable, you know, always put Bemelman's in a position where he had to make a pass to get it by Stevie. But in the end, the difference, Bemelman's goes 43 of 59, converts 73% of his chances, that is elite grass tennis. That is the type of execution you need to have to win a Grand Slam match. And it's a credit to him. He really did an excellent job approaching on the Steve Johnson slice backhand and make Steve try and dip the ball low or hit his funky little one-handed pass, which he makes every so often, but very much so every so often. And yeah, it, it, I don't want to take anything away from Stevie because it was a great fight from him, but Bemelman's just exposed that slice backhand. <laughs> Yeah, he did, and, and we've seen, you know, numerous players on tour expose Steve, you know, in that way. Obviously, he's got a great serve, great forehand, but that backhand is really, it's been a liability for him, you know, for, for years now. So, Bemelman, you know, credit to him, he was able to expose it um, on the grass. I just, to me, Bemelman is so much more kind of a clay court guy. I mean, that's, you know, the surface you know, over in Europe that he grew up playing on and everything. Steve on the grass with his slice you would just think that that matchup would definitely favor Steve, but you can't get down two sets to none. And I think after he lost that tight first set, I think he got down a pretty early break in the second. I can't remember at what point in the second he actually got broken, but I think it was relatively early in that second set. And, and from that point, I mean, to lose the first two sets, I mean, it was going to take a miracle to come back, and he almost did it. So credit to him. He's a fighter. I love that about him definitely one of my favorite players on tour uh so it's you know it's disappointing to see him go out but um you know we'll see what Bemelman has from from this point on I you know I, I honestly I won't look for him to do too much uh, yeah. after this. Look, I, I would have loved... The, next round, but. The, the worst part about this is that it ruins Johnson versus Isner. I was really looking oh, forward right, to that right. and now we don't get to see that. Isner... Here's the thing. I, I think Isner is going to take Bemelman down pretty, pretty easily, probably straight sets in that match. I just, you know, I think he's just going to be able to serve him right off the court. And, you know, Bemelman, uh, I don't know, maybe we play a couple tiebreakers in there, but Isner, for me, heavy, heavy favorite. Well, if I learned anything from yesterday, it's that I should never make a prediction again. So I'm going to let you take the predictions today. You have Isner beating Bemelman. Good call, buddy. Yeah, ex call. exactly. I'm out on that. So, yeah, the, the other thing I want to say, and this isn't really about the Bemelman's-Johnson match, and we can move on from that, but you mentioned, you know, Bemelman's being a clay court player. This isn't the surface you'd expect him to be accustomed to. 
I don't know, man. These courts are playing a little slow. And like, it, it's not that the bad bounces aren't, you know, the typical grass funky stuff is happening, because it is, but these courts are playing, I think the ball's sitting a little bit higher and the surface is, just, it's a little bit harder to hit through it. And I, I thought it was noticeable. I thought Johnson's backhand really hung out in the court. I think when we talk later on about Medvedev and Chorch, I thought Chorch's forehand was just sitting in Medvedev's strike zone the entire match. And that's just, you know, it's the ball's just not staying that low. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. It's definitely a higher bouncing grass core, which is which is interesting. I don't know if the weather has something to do with that. It was pretty pretty hot in conditions there. Um, so, you know, whatever it is, but it's early. I mean, we'll see. The courts are going to get kind of worn down as we progress through the, you know, through the tournament and everything. We'll kind of see how that plays out. But, yeah, these first couple days, definitely, uh, you know, higher bouncing than you would expect from a, typical grass court. I agree, and, and we'll talk about now a match where I think that played to a guy I was rooting for's advantage. That's another young American, well, I don't know how young Steve Johnson really is anymore, but another American in Michael Moe, who lost today to, I think, defending Wimbledon quarterfinalist Jills Muller, who again knocked out Nadal last year. Muller today takes out Moe, 7-5, 4-6, 7-6, 3-6, 6-1. This was not a match I got to see live, but I made a point to make this the first highlights I watched after work. Oh my god, the development from Michael Moe, I was so impressed. So regardless of this match result, which, you know, we can talk about as well, I want to first talk, Matt, about the things I saw from Michael Moe today. And was it me, or did he look like he's put on 10 to 15 pounds of muscle? Well, you know, I, I don't know if I really noticed that today. I to be honest, I saw him not too long ago. I forget which event it was at, but I mean, the guy has always seemed to be pretty big, Okay, man. but I the legs, the legs are so big now. Yeah, they are. I mean, he's, he's really physically, I mean, that, if you're designing a tennis player in a lab, I mean, Michael Moe is probably what you kind of wanted to look like from a physical standpoint. He's just a ridiculous uh, athlete. You didn't know he was developed in the IMG lab. That's where they had him just all those years. Boletari went to work. That's true. Yeah. Now, I mean, it all makes sense. Yeah, exactly. But so, yeah, even beyond the physical, the things he did really well today make 66% of his first serves, is winning 72% of those points, wins 55% of his own second serves. And let's be honest, Muller's not exactly the greatest returner, but still, those are excellent numbers for a five-set match. And then probably the most impressive development I saw from Michael Moe today, net points. Not a guy, you know, he's an IMG kid, a guy who sits three feet behind the baseline, tracks everything down, and just won't miss on a hard court. Now he goes on grass and he comes to the net 28 times, converts 61% of those points, winning 17 of them. That is a step of growth from Michael Moe, and it's you know it's really impressive to see. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's got to take a lot of positives out of it. You know, kind of on the contrary to say Stevie Johnson. I mean, I don't know how many positives Stevie's going to take out of that match with Bevelman, but Moe, on the other hand. I mean, Shields Muller is a guy that, like you mentioned, has made the quarterfinals here just last year at Wimbledon. Unbelievable lefty serve. He's got experience. He's a veteran on the tour. Tough out for anybody. He actually took Nadal out last year at Wimbledon. So the guy knows how to, you know, he can beat the best in the world. And Mo was in that entire match. I mean, the first three sets were incredibly close. Um, you know, those sets just come down to a couple of points. And I think Mo doesn't really have much you know, five-set experience. I think he might have gotten a little bit worn down in that fifth set, six-one. But overall, I mean, I think he's got a lot to build on. Um, he 
should be pleased with the way that he played overall, and I think his ranking's just going to continue to rise. I'm looking for him to uh, to make some serious headlines here within the next few months. Well, I'm looking at some of his match statistics and just the things I still think he can get a little bit better at because I agree with everything you said. All of the signs of growth were evident, and there's so many positives to take away. And I think if he's going back to the lab and saying, you know, what do I need to work on? It's the approach shots, right? It's not that he missed the approach shots. It's that he doesn't hit them aggressively enough. There's not enough pace. The depth is okay, but it's a very tentative approach. And yes, he's winning, you know, 61% of his net points. But again, I think a lot of that comes back to Muller being an older player, a, a bigger guy. Once you can get him stretched and moving side to side, it's harder for him to, you know, get his base set and hit a pass shot. Still, I, I don't think Moe's volleys did enough or sometimes his approaches did enough to penetrate the court to put Haas, or to, sorry, to put Muller in a tough enough position to hit a pass. And because of that, Muller, despite, you know, his physical disadvantages, is able to still get to that ball. And he's a top 20 pro for a re or top 30 pro for a reason. He makes that shot. And so just in that fifth set in particular, when both guys' legs are hurting, Moe didn't put on enough pressure. But still, the first serve percentage, such a good thing to see. Um, he's playing aggressive. I love his plus one tennis when he takes that next ball inside in or gets the opponent changing direction. Did a really good job of that on the grass. Moved really well as always. And a, a, a strong performance despite it being a first round exit. A, a performance you really want going into now the last like home stretch of the season, the hard court stretch. He's got to be happy about it. Yep, absolutely. Agree with everything you just said. Um, you know, and I think, you know, with those approach shots, he, that, that's a that's a correctable, um, you know, that's something that you can work on and correct. Like you mentioned before, IMG guy, he's always kind of been that baseliner who can just run around, track down every ball. He relies on his movement. So I think he's going to head back to the practice courts, you know, work on being a little bit more aggressive, especially on the quicker surfaces like grass or a fast hard court. And once he adds that to his game, I mean, he's got good hands at the net. Like you mentioned, 61% of his net points he did convert. So he can definitely play up around there. He's just got to kind of add that to his game. And once he does that... I don't know. Good good hands is a stretch. Good hands is Stefan Kozlov. That guy can craft a volley and, you know, cut it off anywhere. Well, I, I would say Stefan Kozlov has pretty phenomenal hands. Yeah, I just wanted but, you to compliment Kozlov. That's a, No, I, the point is, I, I don't think Moe's the most natural volleyer. I think you can tell he spent a lot of time on the baseline. But I agree with you. It's not as though he has, an, like, he, the fundamentals are there, for sure. If, if you're saying, he's got the if ability it's, to do it. exactly, if it's a binary system, he's a yes, not a no. Okay, before we move on to my least favorite result and the one you're definitely going to give me the most on, it wouldn't be a great shot podcast without one tangent. So I got to ask you a question, Matt, and it involves our favorite next gen prospects. And yeah, it's a little hot takey, but just bear with me. So after seeing Michael Moe's results through the summer, you know, early on in the year, he starts strong in Australia, makes a quarterfinal by beating Zverev, you know, has a good five-set loss here. And we've seen, you know, I think he's jumped into the top 125 solidly with his ranking. Uh, in terms of your young American prospects, do you consider him with the tier of Donaldson, Tiafo, and Fritz, who are, you know, established top 75, or is he more you know, Escobedo, who's kind of hovering between 175, or is he with the Opelkas, Kozlovs, Tommy Pauls, where it's still a step away? Well, I mean, I'd say obviously right now, I mean, the ranking doesn't lie. So as of this point, you've got to kind of group them in with the Escobedos, and, you know, guys that are, say, between 100 and 125 in the world. But 
you know, I, I don't have them at this point, you know, up there with the Donaldsons and the Siakos just because those guys have done it more consistently. I mean, they've won, you know, they've won titles, you know, on the ATP Tour. Uh, Siakos, you know, did that this year and everything. So Mo's not there yet, but he's definitely on his way. I mean, I'm looking for him to take that next step. And, uh, you know, ultimately, he's, he, I think he has the potential to be a top 50 kind of player, but, um, you know, not quite yet. Maybe maybe next year. We'll see where he is, you know, in a year from now. He's still, what is he, 20 years old? So, you know, he's got plenty of time. Uh, we'll see where he is, you know, in a year from now. But, I mean, all, all signs look good. I like I like where he's at right now. I, com- sure. I, I hate to say it, but Stefan Kozlov keeps falling down my rankings, man. And it's because these other guys are rising. Michael Moe looked really, really good. And on a hard court, I just, it's going to be hard to knock him out, man. The guy's so physically fit, and he just... He hits ground strokes with great depth, and he's able of creating good pace. And sometimes his shot selection is a bit questionable, but still, it, he's shown a lot of signs of growth. He's a guy I'm definitely going to be watching this summer. Okay, I've put it off as long as possible. Let's break down our last match from day one. That's Daniil Medvedev versus Borna Choric. In this match, Medvedev takes out the number 16 seed, Chorich, 7-6, 6-2, 6-2. Both of these guys have been spoken about before on the Great Shot podcast. They're both young guys, I believe, both born in 96. Next-gen finals appearances for each of them last year. Uh, Medvedev came to fame really last year when he knocked out Ravrinka in the first round of Wimbledon. And you can hear the resignation in my voice of, I should have seen this coming, because Medvedev is a tricky player on grass. And, I mean, he just, he, ugh. I, I, he's, uh, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts, man? You start off. I'm still discombobulated. Okay, man. Yeah, I, I really I would like to hear from you definitely on this match. So I'm going to get back to you here in a second. But I do believe that we did we spoke yesterday on the podcast about how Medvedev is going to be a tricky first-round opponent for Chorich. And I kept saying, you know, if we get that, you know, fourth-round Federer-Chorich match, if, because... I knew it was a big if. Medvedev is very, very good. He's another guy that's on the rise. I think he's, what is he now, top 60, in the 60s. Um, but he's, you know, hits the ball hard and flat, grass court style. Um, first set, I think it was, you know, 7-6. Uh, I think all holds in that set. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there were no breaks in that opening set. So it was tight, but Medvedev, you know, snuck out a, a close tiebreaker there. And then from that point, the route was on, man. I mean, I, your boy Chorich, Ugh. you know. I, I the don't know route was on. I think that's going to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> Look, two and two in the second, third sets, man, for a guy that you had in the finals of Wimbledon <laughs> is, is unacceptable to me. I, I want to know what your thoughts are, man. How, what, what happened? What happened? So, I watched... More of this match than I cared. I, you know, I didn't get to see this match live. Unfortunately, I had to be at work, but I watched a lot of it before we recorded this. Um, let's let's start with the stats from this match. First serve percentage: Medvedev, forty-six percent. Chorich, sixty-five percent. If I asked you who won the match, who would you guess? Well. I would need a little bit more information than just that stat. All right, let's. I was going to make a true prediction. Then let's keep going. You know, we'll we'll go to my next favorite net points. Medvedev five of eleven, not remarkable at all. Forty five percent. Chorich twelve of sixteen, not remarkable at all. You know, seventy five percent. But clearly, they're not coming to a lot the net a lot. So it's a baseline slugfest. Who would you guess is going to win this match? Well, 
I mean, typically, you would <laughs> think of Chorich, a guy that can grind from the baseline. That would favor him a little bit, but go on. Exactly. Now we'll get into the juicy stuff. First serve win percentage. Medvedev, 36 of 41, 88%. 88%. I mean... Okay, uh, uh, let's just, it's time. So the, the real surprise here, Daniil Medvedev's grass court game is so, I think it, it's his game is so well tailored for grass, as you mentioned. His ability to take balls early on the rise, he doesn't really let you get him stretched because he's so willing to slap balls early. And his ability to redirect, to just suddenly, you know, without any notice, just step it up early and rip a backhand down the line or use his little wristy forehand to trap the ball and go down the line. It, it was too good, and Chorch didn't do a good enough job of getting him outside of the middle third of the court, and Chorch's forehand just sat up for him, and Medvedev, because he had time, was able to slap the ball so easily and redirect, and if I have to see Chorch hit one more backhand slice, I'm going to lose my mind, because every time he went to the backhand slice, he lost the offensive position on the court, and he was able to use his backhand to penetrate the court deep, and when he was able to jam Medvedev, particularly in that first set, I thought Chorch had so many opportunities. He went one of four in break points in this match, uh, and I think all four of them might have come in the first set. Medvedev went five of ten and obviously dominated as the match went on, but George just, he lost that first set and he never got over it. He missed an easy ball. He had a set point. Medvedev hit a huge serve to make it six all in the first set tiebreak. And then from that point on, George just fell apart. So many unforced errors. I'm looking at these stats now. I believe he had 25 unforced errors. Um, oh, no, sorry, 27 unforced errors. Uh, you know, too many on his ground strokes. He missed volleys. He just he didn't approach confidently. He allowed Medvedev to be comfortable in the center of the court. And if now what we know for sure is if you allow Medvedev time, if you give him time to set his body and direct the pace and direct the flow of the point, he's going to do damage to you. And on grass, George isn't able to move around side to side enough to do anything to re-inflict his will because it's so hard to dictate from the baseline on grass. And I apologize for the length of the rant. My point is, I was so disappointed in Borna Chorch's performance today. He just didn't find a way to adjust. He didn't start going short angles or get Medvedev uncomfortable. He was just too confident, you know, just slugging at the baseline with Medvedev and letting Medvedev dictate. And in the end, it came to bite him in the ass. Yep. Definitely. Um, I, I wanted you to have your time. Yeah, thank you. I, a little bit. To be honest, I feel better. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. Because really for me, in all honesty, this is, this is not really a big surprise to me. I mean, I don't want to say I told you so, but <laughs> I mean, this match was really kind of a pickup. You know, for me, it's like a 50-50. They're two young guys. They're the same age. They know each other, play juniors. I mean, all this stuff. And they're both, they're, they're very, very good. Yes, George was the 16th seed. He is ranked higher. But for me, it was always one of those kind of toss-up matches. That's why I had it circled on the draw because I, I wanted to watch this one and see what happened. So, you know, for the result to go like this, I'm not totally shocked. Um, you know, Medvedev has the ability to play very well, especially on grass. Torch, you know, he's coming off a title a couple weeks back at a, you know, big event in Germany. Um, so, you know, he was, he was riding high, but... Hey, man, Grand Slam tennis is a little bit different animal. And, you know, Medvedev was, uh, he was the unseated player, so probably a little bit less pressure on him. You know, George being, you know, a top 16 seed, maybe felt that a little bit that Medvedev was out there freewheeling. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, not a huge 
surprising result to me at all. Medvedev moves on, and I think he's got the ability to win a couple more. I really do. He's up there in that fed section, though, so um, he's going to have to take a couple of wins before he plays fed, and that'll probably be the end of it for him. The last point I want to make about this match, because Chorich doesn't deserve to be spoken about any more than this, is you look at the distance covered. Medvedev goes a little over a mile, 5,711 feet. George goes 5,637 feet, so again, less than 100 feet difference. You know, if you're born a George, you have to make this match a track meet. You've got to be moving over a mile during the total, you know, during the total time of the match. And in this match, he didn't do enough. He didn't make enough balls to put enough pressure on Medvedev. And again, Medvedev was slapping winners left and right, and he looks really good moving forward. But George has got to be better. Um, but still, so to you, Matt, moving on from this match, looking at Medvedev's draw, he's got Garcia Lopez next, and if he's able to get through that, he's got the winner of Harrison and Manorino. Would it shock you to see him in the fourth round against Fed? Nope, not at all. I, I was going to say, before you say anything, I, I, keep in mind, I don't make predictions anymore, so you're speaking on behalf of both of us. Fair enough. I, I love this. I love this, <laughs> Um No, I, I definitely think he make the fourth round that's a very favorable draw you know when you take out a top 16 seed that's going to open things up a little bit Garcia Lopez definitely a Spanish clay quarter I like Medvedev in that matchup and then Harrison Manorino I mean that could be a little bit you know more tricky for him uh, I'd like to see that match if that happens in the third round against either one of those guys Manorino crafty lefty um, on the grass Harrison obviously huge serve and everything so that could be tricky but I definitely think Medvedev uh, if he continues to play, you know, at this level, I, I can see him in the fourth round. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was almost about to give a prediction, and then I caught myself. Let me just say, you sound very wise there, and for the sake of my now long given up bracket, I hope you're right. I hope Medvedev just takes George's place, and so everyone gets it wrong, and then I, you know, still that that match looks good. So I guess in theory we were right because, as you said, we said Medvedev could win. We did mention that, and. He really did. Um, so I agree with that analysis. Uh, but those are all the matches we're going to break down in depth. Before we go, I do want to talk about a few other results. Just, you know, kind of list the notable ones and then list our favorite storylines from day one. But so you look at the draw. Federer threw comfortably in straight sets. Chilich threw comfortably. Anderson, Isner, Query, Rayonich all threw in straight sets. Those were the highest seeds that played today outside of the ones we've already mentioned. Uh, any of those guys in particular you want to mention? I, I thought they all just, it was routine. They took care of business. They all looked like number one seeds should. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have much else to say on those guys. I think they all look pretty good. Um, Except for Federer, who did not look good. You know, let's just loop this in now. Let's get this in about Roger Federer. Obviously, the huge news from day one, Roger Federer is no longer with Nike. He is now a Uniqlo guy. The headband says Uniqlo. Yes, he's wearing Nike shoes, but according to our sources, that's not lasting for long. It sounds like Nick DePaul of ESPN is saying he's going to be with Adidas soon for shoes. We also hear on the deal, Federer got 10 years, $300 million from Uniqlo in that range. I think it's bonus laced incentives as well. So, you know, he's, if he stays number one in the world or he's got to be playing through X years or whatever, but still the opportunity to make that much money for a tennis player is something that helps our sport without a doubt and it's just a great thing to have and Federer deserves every penny he receives despite me saying he's boring but so those are the big storylines I guess my question to you is what did you think of the look 
Look, man, I, I have no problem with the look, okay? I, I've always been a big Nike guy. I love Nike. I, I own a bunch of Nike gear, but at the same time, I don't blame him for chasing the money a little Gotta bit. Gotta get that money. I'm gonna offer you $300 million. You've got it. I mean, you're out of your mind if you don't take that money. <laughs> don't tell me, Grunkin, that you would wear Nike over, you know, some other brand if they're going to offer to pay you $300 million. Well, let's just get that squared well, away, right? So let's, right? let's play a little game of speculation, Jones, because the rumors are, and again, I can't confirm these, but what you're hearing from the tennis circles is that Federer wanted Nike to offer him a lifetime deal. And it sounds like they weren't willing to do that. They, you know, how long are they going to stay invested in tennis? Do they, you know, do they want to be with someone who's retired? There are a lot of young Americans coming up for obviously a lot cheaper than Fed. So do they really need him? Um, that's the debate behind both sides. And we don't have to get into who was right or wrong. But I don't know, man. The, the RF and the Nike swoosh and all of it is so synonymous with all of the photos that he's won in. And, you know, the majority of his the winning in his career will forever be in Nike to have this little ending phase, it's almost, what if, you know, Jordan switched to Reebok, just like, you know, suddenly, or something suddenly, that is what this switch is, and so it's tough, but yeah, 300 million, you go, it's not a question, and my dad once said if he could sell our house for a significantly smaller sum than that, he would leave me and my brother behind if they asked nicely enough. That's right. Yeah, so you gotta chase that money. Case closed. <laughs> but so, what about the aesthetics? I told, we talked about this a little bit earlier, the Uniqlo logo looks Horrible next to the Federer hairline. Eh, I mean, I can take it or leave it. You know, it is what it is. I honestly, I'm looking more at how he's playing on the court. I don't <laughs> care about his clothes. All right, if he's playing, if he's winning, I'm happy. He's happy. It's all good. It might not be the greatest look in the world, but you know what? It's okay. You know, okay. I'm going to come back into the prediction business to make one last, uh, I'm pretty confident in, I think Federer will do more winning in Nike than he will in Uniqlo. I feel pretty confident about that. So I think he made a mistake. His career is now over. Um, no, I'm just kidding, obviously. But okay, as we mentioned, all those guys, top seeds through comfortably. Uh, you have Luca Pui taking out a cracked racket favorite, Dennis Kudla in four, Monfils winning the Battle of Frenchmen with Gasquet in three good sets. And that's another thing. Do you know Monfils today hit a 150-mile-per-hour serve? Yep, I saw that. I did see that. That's nuts. I mean, that's another guy, right? Freakish athleticism. I mean, he's kind of like a Michael Bell where... You know, he can do, he can basically do anything he wants on the tennis court. It's just mentally, is he ready to play? And I mean, today he definitely brought it against Gasquet. Um, familiar foe there, his countrymen and everything. But Montes, he's always a dangerous guy, man. Nobody wants to see him in the draw because you don't know what you're going to get. He's either going to come out and, you know, kick your ass and, and be awesome, or he's going to kind of be out of it and, you know, you get lucky and you move past him. But yeah, 150 mile per hour serve. I mean, you know, I can't say I'm shocked that he did it because I've seen that guy do some ridiculous things on the court. So, pretty cool, though. Can pretty I just cool say, stuff. I f***ing knew I should have predicted that Gasquet was going to lose to Monfils because he's playing another Frenchman, which means he's going to be incentivized to try. It's a pride match, and I should have known if Monfils was trying, he's as good as anyone. And so that's yeah. on me. Another stupid prediction made. Um, other guys, Tsitsipas got a win today. Another cracked interview, guest Cam Norrie lost a tight four-set match to Bedin. Um, and then, you know, the last storyline I want to talk about, the Americans today. American men go five and three on day one. Those five wins come from Isner. They come from Query, Ryan Harrison, Jared Donaldson, and Mackie McDonald. The losses, Steve Johnson, Michael Moe, 
and who? Oh, and Dennis, Dennis Kudlow, Kudlow, of course, Kudlow. to look up. Puyo. I see in my mind he still won that match. I'm I'm so convinced because that was my prediction. Um, yeah, so you know you're looking through those things. Donaldson now matches up with Tsitsipas round two. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Mackie McDonald, I said, was a sneaky candidate to get to the third round back in the day when I made predictions. Um, yeah, as you can tell, I'm still very salty. Um, I'm wounded. My my credibility is just wounded. It should be, man. Anybody <laughs> makes a prediction like that, you should be wounded. I'm glad you are. It was humbling. It's, I was going to introduce myself as a humble Alex Gruskin, and I just forgot to make the joke. Um, but it's it's true. It was a humbling experience. But American Men, 5-3, and three, what's your takeaway? Yeah, definitely. I mean, huge shout-out to Donaldson, uh, Ryan Harrison, and Mackenzie McDonald. Obviously, Intern Query, you know, some of the top seeds, we, we kind of expected them to get through these first-round matches. But, you know, with those other guys, you never really know. And they all they all showed up and, and played well today. Um, you know, Donaldson especially, he didn't seem to have any trouble. Um, McDonald against Barankis, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. Two similarly, you know, styled uh, players. They run around. They're not the biggest guys. They strike the ball well, but they don't have that much power. And um, he was able to kind of outlast Barankis in a good one there. So huge for him as a wild card. Um, you know, capitalizing on that opportunity. And, yeah, like you said, Gruskin, I mean, one prediction that you uh, might get right is uh, McDonald possibly in the third round. I might be with you on that one, too. So hopefully he can keep it going and uh, the Americans can keep rolling. Well, as I said, henceforth, you speak for the both of us. So if you're down to make the prediction, it's our prediction. You know, it's the Great Shot <laughs> Podcast's prediction. So I like to hear it. But, okay, Matt, thank you again for taking the time to join us. It was an incredible, you know, just so so much good tennis on day one. I had to drag you back on here to do a daily recap. And what do you say? I'll, I'll keep texting you every day if there's a, a match that really pops out and maybe force you to do one of these a day. Absolutely, man. It's always a pleasure. Oh, I, I could not agree more. And one last shout out to our super producer, as as always, Max Fliegner, and as well as Daniel Westoff, who are going to have a lot of recapping to do this week, have a ton of pods to throw out, because we're going to try and throw one to you fans every day. There's so much great tennis, and you know we want to be talking about it. We don't want these matches to build up. If something great happens, we want to you know interact with you and hear from you guys. So if you see any match clips that you really like, you know earlier today on Twitter, I saw Steve John. Johnson and Laszlo Jur both fail to attempt to crack their rackets on their knee, which is hilarious. Have you ever tried to crack your racket on your knee, Stokoyak? I'm sure that I probably have. I have cracked several rackets in my my, uh, my time, but I don't know if I've ever been successful at that either. I can't remember. It's too long ago, but I, I certainly have tried at one point. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to hear it. Also, on the cracked rackets front, because I, I have never tried. I know I'm not strong enough to do it. But in terms of slogans for our website, and this will be our last comment, what do you think of changing our cracked racket slogan from it's the racket's fault to the best form of crack involves a racket? <laughs> I, I am going to refrain from commenting on that. So, I cannot comment on that. So here's my thing. It, it's not in a pro, like it, we're saying the best crack. We don't do that other drug crack. We, you know, crack cocaine's not for us, and we're not about the butt crack either or the wise <laughs> cracks. We're about the cracked rackets. No comment from me. <laughs> I say we put it out in a Twitter poll and let our fans decide. So if you agree, comment on the iTunes page and let's get behind this campaign to change our logo. But so one last time. 
for Matt Stokowiak, for our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff. I'm Alex Gruskin, and I hope you remember the ending, Stokowiak, because we say to you fans, Hey, great shot. <laughs> I love it, and I will talk to you tomorrow, Matt. See ya. All right, man. See ya. Thank you.